Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. Gone. Oh! They did it. A miracle. Legends. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. This is the early week college basketball betting preview. I'm Stucky, and joining me, as always, are Mike Calabrese and Greg Waddell. A lot to get to today. We'll recap the weekend, a couple key takeaways. We will talk some early week looks, and it's a special Mike Calabrese episode because we are buying and selling teams in his beloved A10. Uh, before we get started, if you're watching on YouTube, I apologize for my background. I'm up visiting my mom, uh, dealing with some family stuff. I have new newfound respect for people that have to deal with that, you know, are dealing with family stuff that also have kids, Calabrese. I don't know how people uh juggle it all, but anyone going through some stuff out there, uh, thoughts are with you. But let's get into the weekend that was, first off. It was an exciting weekend of college basketball. Four top 10 matchups. I haven't seen anyone do the math on what the probability of that happening is or was. Uh, but uh, it was a lot of, there's a lot of separation that I think can may, maybe we look back at this weekend and say, you know, this is when a team clinched a one seed or, you know, where seeding could be. You, know, you have seeding tiebreakers. Should this team be this seed or this seed? Might might have come down to some of the results we saw over the weekend. Greg, I'll start with you. Hope all is well on your end. I know that both of us are suffering through continued Super Bowl coverage. Uh, which, <laughs> when your team loses in the championship game, the two weeks feel like two months, and it's it's only Monday, still a week to go. What's going on, Greg? Remember, this is a safe space. You know what pisses me off most of all? Okay, you're ranting now, baby. Yeah, I'm ranting. Why not? Gotta let it out somehow. Yeah, I've aged like eight years in the last eight days. It's not great stock, but we can get through this together. Uh, it, yeah, what a weekend it was. It was. Uh, it, it felt like an Elite Eight day, right? Like it, there, there's just yep. high-profile matchups everywhere. 
And the nice thing is we get some rematches of these matchups again before the regular season ends. Um, I, I feel like I had my eye on two teams in particular, one that uh, I'm very in on going forward and one that I'm very out on going forward. I bet on both of them in the BBOC Live over the weekend. Uh, one is Kansas and one is Kentucky. First off, I, I think people have swung too far out on Kansas, and maybe I'm a little late in saying that after they beat the number one team in the country, but it feels like every talking head with this team for a month has just been on what they can't do. Why do we question their shooting? Why do we question the the bench, the lack of depth? Um you know, just they don't have the great wins yet, except they do have the great wins now. They're 3-0 and against the Kempom top six in the country this year. There's no other team that can boast that type of record against the very best teams in this sport. And Johnny Furphy has changed everything for this team. Everyone was worried about what he was going to look like against the athleticism, the speed, the physicality of the Houston defense. He was ready for it from the jump. Like he, he was making the right reads on the fly, even just something as simple as like a quick kick to the corner that set the tone early and then led to him getting more open shots later. He had 17 points in this game. I think this team is a totally different team than the narrative on this team has been for about a month now. They have Dickinson and McCullough who are always going to be the best two players on the floor unless they're going up against Zach Eady. And that's more than enough when you've got Bill Self at coach. And then on the flip side, Kentucky, I could not be more out on this team. And it pains me to say that right now. Everybody knows the defensive woes that they have. There's a want to issue with them. There's also just a, a simple personnel issue that none of these guys are high level defenders. Like Antonio Reeves is their most consistent player. He's not a, a defensive asset whatsoever. They don't know who their center is right now. Cal's trying a lot of different options there in between Bradshaw and Onyensu. Big Z, who had that great game a couple weeks ago, isn't even playing right now. Uh, I think this team has the look of a team that has no idea what their identity is. And I don't know if that's going to change. It's been four straight games now. They've struggled against the spread. Um, I, they go to Vanderbilt on Tuesday, and they're going to be big favorites on the road. I don't know that I would back Kentucky against anybody right now until they get fully healthy and until they figure out their rotations. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Reeves. Uh, he, he, per Evan Mia, he writes, he has a negative DBPR. I mean, he's like below replacement level right now as a defender. And, you know, I argue with Kentucky fans who are like, Reed Shepard is a terrible defender. Reed Shepard is like their best defender, which is not, yeah, you don't want Reed Shepard being your best defender. Um, and, yeah, the rest of the defense, uh, I mean, Mitchell is okay, but there's, I mean, Dillingham is barely above replacement level defensively. Yeah, Edwards, Bradshaw, Wagner, they're all, like, none of them, as you mentioned. that That's my fear for Kentucky. What did, you can't, even if you look at their wins this year, like you can't rely on scoring 95 to 100. Well, Tennessee scored in, what, 1.3 points per possession, I think? Yeah, 1.4. Um, Incredible. Yeah. I, the defense with Connect, is just guys, not... with, with Connect only 16. Like they have yeah, three points on Kentucky with connect only going for 16 of them. Yeah, yeah. Basically, if you offered me up that just that snippet of the box score that they hold them to 16 points, I would have felt phenomenal. The fact that like basically Greg hitting the nail on the head, like they haven't figured out their rotations. I know that they've had some injury issues, but like you got to come up with a better performance, you know, in that spot. I just don't understand how given the athleticism, the talent, the coaching, everything that they can't come up with a single answer 
while holding another team's superstar who was averaging what, like 30 points a game across his last state, you know, to 16 points. So it's just really disappointing for UK. Yeah. I mean, and look, they went, they shot 45% from three. You put up 92 points at home, should win. Yep. You gave up 103, and the other team scores one at 1.39 points per possession. Yeah. Major issues. They stole a lot of potential. I mean, just offensively, they're going to be a tough out in March if, but they have to figure out their rotations. Like what's going on with Wagner. The argument for Kentucky is just, they haven't played with a full roster once this year, but time's running out. Like how many, how many games do we have left here uh, for each team? What, what seven, eight games. Um, and they have a lot to figure out in a little bit of time. So yeah, that was, that was my big takeaway too. It's like, Big game for Kentucky at home, off a home loss. Uh, you know, it was never going to be an easy game. They were basically it was a coin flip spread, but just the defensive effort and uh, just the the you know the coming into the the kind of the allure with Kentucky coming into the year was, hey, we have all these talented pieces. You know, it's a very inexperienced young team, but they have five months um, to figure it out figure out the rotations, improve a little bit defensively, mesh, build some continuity. We haven't seen anything, any improvement defensively. If anything, we've seen regression. And because of all of the injuries and, um, you know, other stuff, they, they haven't been able to find the rotations and build that continuity. So, like, all of the the upside that, you know, people were hoping for, including myself with Kentucky, just I haven't seen it. And there's, yeah, well, how many games do they have left? They have... Nine or ten games left, um, and yeah, we'll see. They have they still go to Auburn, they host Alabama, they're at Tennessee, so we'll have some data points to see if they're improving. But that was my big takeaway from uh, the day as well. Is I just I, I I don't see them making a deep run unless over these last nine or ten games we see something drastically different, which is hard to imagine. Uh, Mike, uh, oh by the way, my, before we get to the A10, my rant is on. A10 related, uh, amazing meltdown by LaSalle. Um, I, I was feeling pretty stuck. That was the right side the whole way, you know. To, they were up by 14 with nine to go and then just died. Um, so, uh, but any key takeaways from you for the weekend? Uh, yeah, I got a, a one quick takeaway, one quick rant. Um, you know, to keep it positive, Harrison Ingram, I think we now have to start talking about him pulling a full Brady Manic impersonation because you look at two years ago, what Manic brought to UNC scored 15 and six shot 40% from three Ingram is now up to 12 and a half per game and nine boards on 41% shooting from three point range. He buried five against Duke. I understand that they, they basically played as well as they possibly could. They're at home, but I, some of the issues that I had and some of us, I wouldn't say we went as far as calling UNC frauds by any stretch, but like they were getting lucky. Teams couldn't throw it in the ocean against them from three-point range. There were some questions about, you know, their coaching overall. But if Ingram plays like this, I'm not sure there's many teams in the entire country that can beat him. Um, it, it's also given extra life to Baycott. I, I think he's just playing a little bit better, having somebody in the front court that he can rely on like that. And then on the quick rant side of things, my wife goes down with the flu over the weekend. So I'm, you know, basically solo parenting with my my two boys, which just like a player, like when the usage goes up too much, I'm a complimentary role player here. I am not the superstar of the family. So I was stretched thin. I'm still trying to watch all of Vermont against Binghamton on ESPN Ocho. And I just about lost my shit because they're in a game 
where they're trying to cover a spread late. You know, the game was basically a one possession game with like five minutes into the second half, but they're opening up the lead. I got a chance and they grab a rebounds and their guard walks it up the floor and gets a 10 count. Not, not covered, no pressure, nothing. I just about flipped a table over. I, I don't know if there's an equivalent for another sport, maybe just like a, a fumbled snap, like Alabama in the Rose bowl. They just couldn't snap the ball, um, you know, <laughs> to, to their quarterback. I was so angry. And this happens from time to time. Usually it's foul shot related, but it's just like in these unforced error situations in college hoops, it's hard enough to win on a regular basis betting college basketball because of all the three point variants. But then you add in bullshit like this. I, I just about my brain broke. So I lost the, the, juicy number that I had. I got it right on the open, but we had a chance to cover for everybody and they go ahead and blow it. Yeah. Uh, that's the final minutes of college basketball. Will, uh, I've had lo- lots of trauma uh, for over two decades of betting a sport. It just comes to the territory. There was a game. What was the game, uh, that I was watching It was Friday night, man, this would have been, this probably would have let off sports center bad beats with Van Pelt. It was, I don't know. Someone, someone out there, remind me and send me the link. I'll, I'll retweet it. But there was the spread was like six, and the other team had the ball, and they were at like the three point line, and there was like time was running out. It was like eight, seven, six, and he threw a bounce pass to the kid to go up for like a flashy dunk, and he did it. And but it was like point one after the after the buzzer. Those are always fun too. This podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $158 in bonus bets when you bet $5. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming, terms conditions apply, must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, but let's get to some A10 talk, some buy low. Uh, my one of my favorite things I look forward to each week is Greg <laughs> buying high. Oh, he already started, he already we already uh, got a taste that he's buying Kansas after they beat Houston. Um, <laughs> now, for what it's worth, Kansas is fourteen and zero all time at home against top five teams that are ranked higher than them. So you know the excludes if they're like one and the team's five, which is pretty amazing. I think they're now 4-0 as uh, home underdogs since 1990. But let's let's do a little buy low in the A-10. Mike, this is your conference, so I will defer to you to start. Who are you buying in the Atlantic 10 conference? 
tons of options just because it's, you know, a clown car of teams at like four and five in the conference, kind of in that middle class. Are they going to end in the top six? But I'm going to go with the Minutemen. You look at UMass, they have a loss at Dayton by four, a loss at Loyola by one. They lose at home on a buzzer beater to St. Joe's. And they were without Matt Cross for a few games. So I think if even one of those games go their way, certainly the Dayton game, the whole narrative on them is different. I love their balance. They have four starters who average double digits. They're an elite offensive rebounding team, 11th nationally there. 37th in turnover margin. That, that's a key stat for me. They protect the basketball. They're they're good with on-ball pressure. They force teams into tough shots, 60th in opponent shooting percentage. And overall, I just trust Frank Martin to get the most out of a team that needs to win some of those closer games, some of those grind half-court kind of games as they get into A-10 tournament play and potentially, you know, whatever it is, a, a CBI or whatever they play in, in the postseason. He's made the tournament and gotten at least one win in the NCAA tournament five times in his career. So I think he certainly is somebody that you can trust. But really, the reason I'm buying at this particular moment is a lot of the teams that are in the top third and the bottom third, it's been schedule dependent. UMass's schedule is pretty light down the stretch. Outside of a roadie at Richmond, they could be favored in seven of the other eight games. And for that reason, I think they're going to start stacking some wins here. And this is an opportunity not just to play them to, you know, get arguably a top four seed in the A-10 tournament if everything goes right. But I'm going to play them on a nightly basis in a lot of these spots. Yeah, uh, cross obviously huge. And I also don't think that, look, it's not a great shooting team by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think that they're what, 28.5% from three bad, which is what they're shooting in the A-10, which is, if not the worst, one of the worst in the conference during league play. Uh, and we've seen just how important Matt Cross is uh, to everything they do. And it's not, you know, the the thing is, it's they're one of those teams, it's not, they don't shoot a ton of threes. They're not a great shooting team. And they're not three-point reliant because they're great on the offensive glass. But I would think that there's probably some looming positive shooting regression for the Minutemen. Uh, they're not as bad as they've been shooting, and that will only provide a little extra bump. Greg, where are you going with buying in the A-10? You buy, you buying Dayton? I'm not buying Dayton. Uh, more <laughs> on Dayton in just a moment. I think I played this right finally, although I am buying a team that is ahead in the standings of where Mike just went. I'm going to take a shot. A little flyer, a little 15 to 1 flyer on Loyola Chicago on the Ramblers. All right. I get it. The metrics don't love this team. They're ninth on Ken Palm in terms of just team overall efficiency margin in this league. They're seven and two in the conference. Like we are not far removed from an offseason ago where Drew Valentine was one of the hottest up and coming rising coaching names in a lot of different job circles. He got dealt. I don't want to say a bad hand because anytime you get your program to move up a, a level in competition, that's a good thing. It speaks to what you're building. But for year one in the A-10 to also be the first year that he was without kind of his program staple guys that he had. He had Crutwick for a couple of years, um, and then he had Lucas Williamson, who was a superstar. Last year was kind of a writing on the wall year for me. It wasn't a shock to see them really, really struggle. He went out and did a lot of things to the roster that I think he needed to do. Like a lot of the same faces are still on this team. Ben Schweiger, who was a big part of the rotation last season, doesn't even play most games now. Miles Rubin's second in the country as a true freshman in block percentage. This defense is legitimate. 
They've got age. They've got experience. They've got shooting. They just need to take care of the basketball. But uh, talk about a schedule. They do still have some tough games left. They've got back-to-back road games coming up. But against the two teams ahead of them in the A-10 standings right now, they've only got one game left on the schedule, and it's Dayton, March 1st. They get them at home in Gentile in Chicago. Uh, I, I'm going to take a flyer. I think 15 to one is way mispriced for this team. I think it should be closer to 10 to one and only a game back in the standings right now, halfway through the season, guys, I think the Ramblers have something special going. It won't surprise me to see them keep racking up the wins. Uh, two things. One, I will say, I will give you credit for the call on true Valentine and, and the Ramblers, because I, I think like a month ago or so, you said everyone's out on this team. Uh, but uh, I'm in, I, and you saw something with Loyola, but I will call you out in that you're buying a team that's what that third in the standings or five okay. and one over the last six. So uh, I give you credit for staying on brand, even though you thought you were kind of going off brand. You, you, 15 you, to you, one stuck 15 to one yeah, that, to time. win, to win the conference that, yeah, that that's a different story. Loyola Chicago is one of my sell candidates. Uh, so I'll throw uh, that it, out it's, now. it's my sell pick for this week. I can't wait. All to right. Get so, that. uh, We'll 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 uh debate that. So I guess I'll I'll throw my buy out there. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy my uh undergrad alma mater, GW. I you know, they've had four straight losses, so I think that's probably close to the bottom of the market on a team that plays up and down. not a team I want to bet back as a favorite, but a team that I think might be able to get uh as an underdog in some valuable spots coming up. They've had a tough stretch, they've lost four straight, they shot tw- 26 of 102 from three in those four games. Their opponents, 42 of 93, 45%. Their opponents are shooting 41.5% from three in league play. And it's a team that does a decent job of defending the three-point line or at least limiting three-point attempts. So I think you've seen, you know, flashes with GW. Uh, So I think, you know, after four straight losses, this is a time to potentially buy back in when, you know, pick your spots but as an yeah i think they're going to be an underdog they'll be a favorite against rhode island at home i don't really love them as favorites but they'll probably be an underdog maybe in the rest of their games um so i think at their four straight losses you know it was a team that before then won at vcu beat davidson beat george mason and they've kind of just hit a rough patch in terms of shooting uh, splits on both sides so i think uh gw the revolutionaries, which is still so uh, weird for me to say, um, I, I think it's time to buy them. But uh, we're we'll move on to our selling. Do you have any thoughts on GW, Mike? By any chance? No, I, I think you're right in terms of situational spots. I wouldn't want to lay points with them either. But I think that they offensively too, they they are due and they have the guard play to pop off on a, a nightly basis. So I, I think that's you're you're seeing the board correctly in terms of playing them moving forward. That that's just my take on GW. And I won't do revolutionaries. So there's a couple teams like was it Valpo's the Beacons now? It's like come come on now. I, I'm I'm not buying into the new names. Yeah I would have went for what it's worth I would have went blue fog. Um mm. there was like a poll and um there was a couple different options. I didn't think any of them were great, um, but uh, I thought Blue Fog was the best of the choices, but who cares? Uh, back to, to selling, where you are selling Greg's buy in Loyola, Chicago. You I am. I, first? I, 
I would like to give him credit because you were absolutely right on in terms of when you were more bullish on Loyola and you were singing their praises because the schedule lined up properly. Like when you look, I think they have what, seven wins in conference. They beat, beat Duquesne, they beat St. Louis twice, and they beat Davidson. So four of those seven wins in the, the A-10 is not exactly blowing my hair back. Then you look at some of their metrics. Shot quality rates them 180th offensively, which is telling because they do take high efficiency shots. They're 63rd in rim and three rate. They just don't knock them down. And I also just don't trust them in close games because they're awful from the line. They're 288th in team uh, three throw percentage is 68%. And you mentioned it, protecting the basketball. They have a negative turnover margin, negative one per game. That's 260th. I know that they like to play a little bit smaller. And even with a smaller lineup, they're still able to grade out pretty decently on the defensive end, but they get nothing on the offensive glass. They're 329th in offensive rebounding percentage. So those are my core issues with them as they move into the meat of their A-10 schedule. They're going to need to get more scoring somehow, and I just don't trust the the shooting because I've seen enough of them this season. So can they win games if they get into some rock fights and they lean on their defense? Absolutely. But in terms of buying them long-term where they are now, will they finish third or better? I have them moving more towards the middle of the pack, maybe a fifth or sixth place finish in the A-10. Yeah, to build on that, they're, I mean, they're also five and one in one possession games. They got to play. So some of their metrics are inflated by the fact that they played, they played a number of teams without key players. So they played UMass without Cross. They played Fordham without Metter. And they won those games by what? A combined five points. St. Joe's was up like 10 with five to go. Um, who else had them on the ropes? Uh Someone else had them on the ropes. Uh, was it BC? I think BC was also up like nine with three or four to go and melted away. So they've had a couple of fortunate wins in close games. Um, and they played some teams that had their key players missing, which you know, you, we just talked about the importance of cross and Fordham without Metter is obviously important. Um, so yeah, I think and I just don't trust their all. They, they don't just, they, they don't take care of the ball. They can't make free throws, like all those little things. Their defense is legit, but I think like this is probably the peak of their defensive metrics based on the schedule and then playing teams without missing key players. But I'll also mention VCU uh, just for the pure fact that I know they lost at Bonnie's. I'm a big Ryan Odom guy, but they're shooting 41% from three and teams are shooting 26% against them in league play. Uh, that I mean, they're number one in both. I, I, I don't think that that's sustainable. Um, and they're going to be... You know, they have a tough spot here right? between Richmond and Dayton going to Fordham on Tuesday. Um, but that, there's there's some looming shooting regression that's going to hit the Rams uh, that they're just not going to be able to sustain. But let's, uh, Greg, let's go to your sell. If I had a guess, you're selling St. Louis. I'm selling Dayton, boys. That's what I'm Ah, here we go. You, you can't All accuse right. me. You cannot accuse me of not selling high here. Um, listen, I respect Dayton. I think this is the best team in the conference, of course. Uh, Deron Holmes, what he's been doing is special first-team All-American level stuff. I don't know that he's going to get the First-team All-American or get rid of the award. Right. Like it, it's there's nobody in the country other than Zach Eady that at a front court position is doing what he's doing night in and night out right now. That's also what scares me a little bit about Dayton is I just think they are so dependent on Holmes being elite every single game. I mean, I mean, you go through this. If he gets in foul trouble, the one game that's happened in conference play was the loss to Richmond. He finishes with nine points in 25 minutes with four fouls. If that happens. They're going to lose the basketball game more often than not. Just is what it is. 
Um, they've got three away games left against the Kempom top 100. I believe they've only played one in conference play up until now. The schedule's getting harder for this team. I believe they're good. I believe they're the best team. But I, I, I think to your guys' point, schedule's going to get tougher. I don't like one-dimensional basketball teams. And that defense, uh, I think, is the weak spot. Like, offensively, they can outscore teams most nights. Defense, they're just fine. And if Holmes gets in trouble, I don't know that I trust them on the defensive end against some of the teams in the middle of the pack on their home courts, which is what they're going to have to fight through during the stretch run of the season. Yeah, I mean, they are super reliant on Holmes, who is incredible. Uh, I'm, I'm going to... Next week, I'll, tr- I'll try to come with this list of teams. We're about at that time where we have enough data where I, and I have the like a lot of these teams in my head, but I'll come, come up with an official list of the teams that like once one guy potentially gets in major foul trouble, like if you can hit right away um, live betting against them, uh, for like one that comes to mind, it's not always the most obvious guy, but one that comes to mind for me this weekend, I lost I lost a bet on Maryland. When I put it in the app, I said, just hope Reese doesn't get in foul trouble, um, was my comment, which he did. And then he didn't he got he played like 14 minutes. Same thing happened to Minnesota. Maryland argued has maybe a top five defense, like but they need Reese in the middle where they funnel everything to, and he's kind of the anchor. When he gets in foul trouble, which he does frequently, their defense is just nowhere close to the same. And uh, you know, his rim protection, when that goes away, and then Willard has to sit him for like 14 minutes in the first half, then he picks up another foul. You got to you know sit him for like 10 more minutes in the second half. Their defense drops off a cliff. But um, Holmes is obviously one of those guys that's just so important. Uh, so if yeah, if he gets in foul trouble, Dayton certainly is in trouble for stretches. Uh, the good thing is they do at least grind the game, grind, try to grind games down to a halt. But let's get to the early week slate and pick out some spots here. I will say, you know, we talked about how I, I mentioned this a lot over the past month, how like spots that were just automatic free money for 15 years are so priced out of the market now. So it's it's rare that you get, I, you know, you I get a spot here with Kansas State catching five. I would have thought this line where it did open. It was going to be like three, three and a half, and I wasn't going to be able to play it. But I, we mentioned this on our Big 12 sell a couple weeks ago. We all agreed Kansas State was the sell. Uh, I think it was a pretty obvious sell. They were playing a bunch of teams that could turn them over, and that's really their you – know, they have a lot of issues, but that's one of their primary issues. I mean, they're 347th in the country in turnover percentage. There's a lot of teams in the Big 12 that you do not want to play if you have turnover issues. Well, since we said to sell Kansas State – they what they they barely beat Oklahoma State. Then they lost four straight. They lost Iowa State, who could turn you over. Houston, blown out by Oklahoma, and then they I think they bottomed out probably at Oklahoma State. They're now on the outs, to my opinion, on the outside of the bubble. Looking at the bubble, um, this is like their season. Uh, this game against Kansas at home. Kansas coming off of a they played perfect basketball. You score. What did they shoot, 80% from two against Houston? They scored 1.25 points per possession. What is that, to, uh, if you translate that to a normal, against a normal defense? Like scoring 1.2 points per possession against Houston, that's like one, that's one eight. Uh, again, I mean, Houston, it was historically good defense. So Kansas quick turnaround from that just huge win. And this is still a team that, look at their last 
four road games. They lost at UCF. They lost at West Virginia. They lost at Iowa State. And they beat Oklahoma State. So it's a team that hasn't been the same away from home. Uh, I agree with a lot of things that Greg said earlier in the week, or early in the show, I should say, with how Furphy, it's just like more Furphy, less Jackson, and they've just become a different team. But Kansas will pressure, like they're not going to pressure Kansas State. They're not a team that's going to force a ton of turnovers, which really helps the Kansas State offense. This is just the definition of a buy low, sell high spot. And I don't, for once, I don't have to actually pay a premium on it. So I'm taking a shot with Kansas State, uh, full game and and some first half tonight. And uh, just a game that they, I think they pretty much have to have. They, I know the Big 12, you get a ton of opportunities to, get more resume building wins, but uh, this is a huge game for Kansas state. And I don't think it's the worst matchup in the world uh, schematically. So yeah, I'm going to go with the Wildcats email. I think they've probably bottomed out market wise and Kansas coming off that huge win. Greg, I'll throw it to you. Uh, any thoughts there? And what do you, what do you got? Yeah, I uh, stuck. I hate to say it. I'm opposite you here, but that should surprise no one because I buy high and sell low. Um, so the the deal with this Kansas State team for me is I just think they stink. I think they're cooked. I think their their desperation spot was a week ago at home against Oklahoma, and they lost by 20. Um, I, this, to me, is not a good matchup. I, I agree with you on the turnover points, but to me, Kansas State's entire – offense hinges on can Tyler Perry win his matchup one-on-one for 40 minutes I don't think he can do that against Dewan Harris who is a stellar defensive guard even if he's not pressuring full court like he's going to make it very difficult on a volume shooting guy Um, this is just a crazy number I went back and looked at this Jerome Tang is like, like still one of the hottest names in coaching circles he's been at Kansas State for a year and a half he's 10 and 0 in overtime games 25 percent of his wins at Kansas State have come in overtime. That's insane. Like, I I don't think that's ever happened in college basketball history for a guy. And to me, I, I just think there's clear signals that the wheels are off with this team. So um, it's probably a stay away from me more than anything stuck. But I agree with you. The number being up to four and a half now signals that Kansas State should be the play. I just don't trust this team with my life right now. You know, a team that um, the only team that I could think of in overtime with a similar record of late is Florida State. I think Florida State's won like 15 straight overtime games. I know that they were 13 and 0. They have the, they tied they tied the they beat the NCAA they, they had the NCAA record which they set like a year or so ago. And then they won a game and then they beat Colorado in overtime earlier this year. Yeah. Yep. So 14 straight. They've won 14 straight in overtime which is an NCAA record. Um so don't go to overtime against Florida State or Kansas State. Uh, Mike, what do you got for early week? I'm uh, going to go Monday with a total under 132.5 Miami against Virginia. It's it's tried and true here. The Cavaliers play at the second slowest pace in the country. A little fun fact, four of the five slowest tempo teams in the country have a winning record, including Virginia and St. Mary's. So it's nice to see the Snails getting rewarded for their, their brand of basketball. Um, you know, Miami, despite their talent, they've actually gone under in seven of their 11 ACC games and a handful have gone way under 19 points under the closing total against Cuse, 10 under against Pitt, 13 under against NC State. And when you look at Tony Bennett, you know, since arriving in Charlottesville in 2009, they've cashed 60 percent to the under. That's the most profitable under team among power programs. And you got to keep in mind, books obviously have adjusted. They keep dropping these numbers low. They keep, you know, limboing below them. 
And then finally, there's the three-point variance here, of which there's little to speak of, because I think it's already baked in. Miami's a top 20 three-point shooting team in the country. That's already baked into the number. And Virginia only shoots 18 per game, which is 312th. So when you look at that, there's just not going to be that many opportunities for many runs to happen in this game. That's why I like under 132.5. Greg, before we get to another look each, and Michael, I'll ask you this too. If, as of right now, if you had to go to battle with – that's for your life. And it's we're talking the ACC conference tournament. So you take Duke and North Carolina out of it. If either one of those teams wins, you live. But if any other team wins it, uh, you go to prison for five years. But you can pick one of the other teams. And if you get it right, then we'll give you $10 million. Which other team uh, are you choosing in the ACC to win the tournament because there's just a giant what is there a 10 10 it's just like a 10 team glob um above you know notre dame louisville georgia tech who are you taking i, I if i had a guess greg you're going with miami i'm trying to talk myself out of it actively right now but i don't think i can and th- there's nothing metrically that's gonna defend this pick but like I, it, there's gotta be at least a a, a chance that this team really is just coasting and is a bright lights team. Like I still have no idea how they made the final four last season and they got some breaks along the way, but I think given where the other teams are and the track record and the resumes at this point, Miami's the only one I would circle and be like, well, they've never been at full strength. Like Virginia has gotten where they are pretty much at full strength. Wake Forest, same thing. Um, I, I think there's a reasonable outcome here where we see a different Miami team for the final month of the season than we've seen for the bulk of conference play, which, yeah, points me to the Hurricanes is my answer. Mike, who are you choosing? Just some quick clarification notes here. Is it like a single room in prison? Because I've been woken up either by my kids or my sick wife about four days in a row. So if I'm on my own, solitary no, confinement. You got a bunk, mate. All right. I mean, as long so you as really you, got to choose, is, he is, snores. Is, he snores too. Okay. Okay. All right. You're really putting my feet to the fire here. I'll go. He has, Clemson. He has untreated, untreated sleep apnea. I'll go Clemson. They got four losses in the past six weeks by three points or less. Eventually, some of these threes have to go in. Chase Hunter is in an incredible three-point slump. At least I know I got P.J. Hall, and maybe I can hitch my wagon to him, and he could play really well for three or four games in a row. So I'll go Clemson. Yeah, I guess it's it's a tough question because I was thinking about it, and I didn't really have a clear answer. I mean, I don't, I don't trust Virginia's offense. I don't trust Miami's defense. Um, I don't hate either of your two answers. They were the two I would have considered. But I also throughout Wake, I think just Wake's the most complete other team. Um, but something just is seems off with them. I don't, I can't put my finger on it. But we'll have uh, a lot more to say about the ACC conference tournament. We'll have podcast previewing every single conference tournament when March is here, which is less than a month away. Crazy. All right, uh, let's get to at least one more look each for the early week. Mike, you just mentioned it. North Carolina plays Clemson. Huge win over Duke. They're, I'm hoping that I can get double digits with Clemson here. Carolina has been incredible for stretches, but we still talked about what did Duke, did Duke shoot 20% from three? I didn't even look at the – I didn't even, even update my numbers I'm, been traveling, but I, I assume Duke shot 20% from three. What did they shoot? I think it was in the mid-20s, but it, it wasn't great. It's improvement. Well, yeah. So, I mean, teams are still shooting 26% from three against North Carolina. And 
Clemson, meanwhile, you mentioned the shooting regression. They're shooting 30% from three in league play. They're like a 34 to 35% three-point shooting team. And teams are shooting 37.5% against them. And it's not a great shooting league. Um, and for the year, they're holding teams to like 33%. So shooting regression all on the side of Clemson. Go back to the first time these two teams played. And I'm curious to see where this line ends up because Clemson, I believe, opened as like a pick and closed like minus three. Am I, am I crazy? Some of these. Sounds right. Yeah. So would love to get that. I mean, Kemba projections double digits. Would love to get that. They played that game. They went. They were never out of it. Didn't feel like they could win it. But they shot one of 18 from three. You're not, you're not beating North Carolina. So, obviously, they shoot one of 18 from three. I mean, they lost by 10. They technically, I mean, I guess they could still cover. But North Carolina off that huge Duke win, like, just fat and happy syndrome. You have, you're two and a half games clear in the ACC. Uh, Clemson needs this game. Um, they've, and you mentioned it. Three of their last four losses by one to Virginia – by one at Duke, a foul with one second left, and by two or three in, in double overtime against Georgia Tech. So they've just they've been on the wrong end uh, of some of these close games, which I think will give us some value here. They got embarrassed last year against North Carolina, and uh, I think it's just a good spot for a veteran Clemson team that won't be intimidated by the environment. We saw that in Cameron. So I think it's a good spot to get Clemson and a good number. Greg, you got anything else early week? I do. Uh, first off, though, I love I love the running trope that either you or I are fading North Carolina every single week on this program. At this oh, point. yeah, I forgot. And, yep. and I actually had Clemson. I was like, I'm ready to be a part of the trio here, and you jumped me in line. So, yeah. We're, all right, we'll uh, build on that, Mike. Bill, do you have anything else to add, <laughs> add to it? Yeah, I know. You, you hit all, all the main points. The fact that they only lost by 10 and they couldn't throw it in the ocean against North Carolina, I find that to be very promising. Like, Honestly, if they shoot 25% from that game, they probably win it. So I, I think the... the and C- P.J. Hall was in like a, a fog in that game. I, yeah. He was getting benched and like, I don't know what was... he got. Then he got in foul trouble. Um, and he's obviously really important. They, they also got Jack Clark back and he, he's more important defensively. Um, could just give you some versatility and good defensive minutes. Uh, but go ahead. Yeah, it just, you know, to close that up, as I was mentioning, Chase Hunter in this three-point slump, just give me something from one of the two guards in this offense, and I think they're going to be hanging around, you know, the, the last media timeout at four minutes. I bet they'll be within five points, let's let's say, as long as they get anything out of their backcourt. And, you know, UNC not only firmly established as the, the leader in the ACC race, up two on Virginia, up two and a half on Duke, they're also pretty firmly established as a one seed now. So I agree from a like urgency and psychological perspective, I could see them coming out kind of as they did against Georgia Tech and just go through the motions for the first 10 minutes and then try to turn it on late. Um, so getting a key number here, I bet it closes at like nine and a half or 10. I would love to get anything above that in terms of double digits, but I'm certainly going to play the Tigers. Yeah, uh, I would assume right now, one seeds are Carolina, Purdue, UConn and Houston, like that's pretty much. And like, who's anyone would disagree? Like Arizona, like if Arizona is the top of the two line behind them, then like North Carolina. They have so, they have so many. Arizona has so many bad losses. Exactly. Yeah. Um, like that's like Arizona lost to Stanford, Oregon State. Um, I mean, I guess it's just a couple. Uh, they also lost to Washington State. It's not a terrible loss. Washington State's playing a lot better, but that's where I think we'll hold them back. Um, 
but yeah, I guess they'd be the next team knocking on the door. Um, but yeah, those four clearly just from a resume perspective, your one seats right now, uh, Greg, you got anything else for early week? Yeah, I got one more. I'm looking ahead to Tuesday night in the Big Pen where Michigan State is on the road at the barn against Minnesota. They're likely going to open up as a slight road favorite. Ken Palm has them by four. The first time these two teams played this season, uh, Michigan State won the game by 10 at the Breslin Center. Elijah Hawkins did not play for Minnesota. Elijah Hawkins leads the country in assists per game. The kid is absolutely special. You can go through his game logs. It's like a bunch of 15, 11, 11, 12 assist games. It's insane. Uh, to not have him and to make that game competitive, that was a tie ball game with about eight minutes left in the game, was wildly impressive for me. Dawson Garcia is a mismatch problem for the Michigan State front court. Uh, Michigan State on the year, guys, one and six outright outside the state of Michigan. The one win was a two-point win at Maryland, who I think is honestly a similar caliber team to Minnesota. Um, I, I think this game's going to be... And Maryland easily could have won that game. They could have easily won that game. E easily, easily. I think at best for Michigan State, this is a very close final possession type game. At worst, I think you see Minnesota get hot from outside and exploit some of Michigan State's road woes. So uh, if, if we get plus money for the Gophers in, in any capacity, I'm actually going to bet the money line that Minnesota wins this ball game. Yeah, man, I, I watched that entire game, and Michigan State pulled away late. Minnesota also got to deal with foul trouble and no Hawkins, um, but they were right there uh, until you know Michigan State pulled away late. So, anything else, Mike? You got you good? Yeah, good. I'm gonna go Tuesday night, Colorado State. If I can get them below four, you know, laying on their home floor against Boise. The first meeting, Isaiah Stevens couldn't have played any worse. He had six turnovers. He shot four for sixteen, and they shot as a team four for sixteen from three. They only made six foul shots. Boise had 23 foul shot attempts comparatively. Despite all of that, it was still a four-point game with 90 seconds left. So Stevens, he's going to be making his 140th career start. I just view this as you can't keep a good player like him down. He's just too good. They need it on their home floor. I'm going to go with the Rams. I think this actually is a game I kind of explore the alternate line because I think if everything goes right for them and they get it going offensively, I think it's a Boise team that's at the peak of their value in terms of the market right now. So if I could lay, you know, minus seven and get close to two to one or something like that, that would be phenomenal. Yeah, I, one one positive takeaway with Colorado State, because I've been concerned about their defense and just like their physicality inside when they mm -hmm. have to deal with more physical bigs, but uh, they did a good job against Bidet and San Diego State, um, and they changed some things up schematically. And, you know, so that that gives me hope because Boise State can really host you up with multiple guys. Um, but that's definitely a good spot for the Rams against a uh, hot Boise State team. All right, gentlemen, good stuff. Thanks for joining me as always. Thanks to our producer, David, on the back end. Thanks most importantly to all of you for tuning in, for watching on YouTube. Make sure... Subscribe at that like button. Three man weave. We'll be back as always for Wednesday. We'll be back with the weekend betting preview Thursday night. And then we'll be back with BBOC Live, 10 30 a.m. Eastern on Twitter or X. We will tweet out that link. It'll also be on the Action Network app. We can find all of our bets. So make sure you follow us there. But thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you all later in the week. Cheers. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. 
If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.